Welcome to sermons from First Alliance Church, equipping you to become a fully devoted and faithfully engaged disciple of Jesus. Here's today's message. Good morning and welcome to First Alliance Church. Thank you for continuing with us in worship. My name is Tim Sridharan. If you have your Bibles, feel free to open them to Acts chapter 2 on your computer or in your lap in front of you, and we'll just be working our way through this text today. We've been in a series of Luke, and now we're moving to a nine-week series in Acts, and we just love to allow God's Word to shape who we are and how we understand this world. So let me read a scripture for us today, pray for us, and then we'll dive into our text. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came down on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jew and convert to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in their own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. The word of the Lord, let me pray. Holy Spirit, come. Thank you for the day of Pentecost, the day that you came upon your apostles, the day God's presence came upon each believer and now resides and empowers each and every one who follows Jesus. Help us, Holy Spirit, to see Jesus and glorify the Father. And I just ask right now to be filled with your spirit that the words that I say will be for your glory and will call more to gospel faithfulness. So come, Lord, show us what this text means, what it means to us today, and what you are calling us to here at First Alliance Church. Amen. One of the most important things that we can do in life is ask the question, what does this mean? It's cute, because I have a five-year-old right now, and he's asking a lot of these interesting questions about the whole purpose of life. And this week, I dug up uh, a really uh, old, a fun old book uh, that I have, and I've read, it's like a classic children's book, Animal Farm by George Orwell, which I think it's kind of funny to be dubbed a children's book. If I was to ask my five-year-old son to read this and ask him, what does this mean? He would say, it's, it's a farm story about all these animals who revolt against Farmer Jones, led by this pig named Napoleon. I'm like, that's true. Now, if you ask someone with an astute understanding of 20th century history what this book is about, they'll simply tell you this is a critique of the Russian Revolution. 
and a critique of uh, Soviet-style socialism. It is a history of a revolution that went wrong and of the excellent excuses that were forthcoming at every step of the perversion of the original doctrine. Just reading off the back of the book. What does this mean? My son will come up with a very different answer than a historian will. And it's key to understand history and everything going on because as we dive deeper into God's word and ask what this means, this really has a great impact upon our life. In verse 12 of today's text, as the people of Jerusalem were experiencing the scene of the Holy Spirit coming down and the people, the apostles speaking in different languages, languages uh, that they didn't know before that day, many are amazed and perplexed and they asked one another, what does this mean? And today, as we spend the next 25 minutes exploring Scripture, I hope we will see what this means to the apostles, what does this mean to those who were in Jerusalem, and finally, what does this mean for us today? Whether you are a Christian or exploring what Christ is all about. So let's in Scripture, join with me as I look at chapter 2, verse 1, and we tackle this question, what did this mean to the apostles? We have this magnificent scene. I can't even picture it in my own mind. It had to be so fantastic. You have all the apostles gathered in this house, and the author, Luke, is trying to explain something for us using a, a simile and a metaphor that we don't quite naturally understand. Suddenly something uh, sounds like the blowing of a violent wind. And he saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came down and to rest on each of them. All were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. I heard preacher Kent Hughes one time say, not even Steven Spielberg, the famous director, would be able to recreate the scene of Pentecost in its beauty. And there's something amazing that's going on here. And Luke is describing something that he just, that is indescribable. But he uses two analogies from the Old Testament, wind and fire. I think if we spend time unpacking that, we'll understand more about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Wind in the Old Testament is often seen as a sign of God's spirit and is rooted in the fact that the Hebrew word ruach and the Greek word pneuma pardon my pronunciation, <laughs> either means wind or spirit, depending on its context. If we think about the wind in the Old Testament, there's lots of examples from the wind of God creating the world, but the one that comes to mind as a powerful moment is from Ezekiel chapter 37. Here you have a, a pile of dry bones, and Ezekiel prophesies that the breath of God, the ruach, the wind of God, will blow over these bones and do what? Bring these dead bones to life. We have God's spirit moving, bringing something that is dead back to life. And to many, this was an, the wind of God's spirit was something in Judaism that looked forward to an ushering of the final messianic age. God's spirit was associated with what would come in the final days. We see, God's, we see wind as God's spirit. If we think about fire from the Old Testament, there are many different examples that come to mind. I don't know what comes to mind for you, but one of the first ones is Moses and the burning bush. Here we have Moses wandering through the wilderness. He's trying to figure out his life calling, and he comes upon this bush. It's, it's on fire, but it's not burning up. And as Moses approaches the bush, God speaks to him from the bush, saying, Moses, take off your shoes. The place that you are standing on is holy ground. That fire 
was symbolic of God's presence. Not too long after that scene, as the Israelites escape Egypt, Pharaoh finally lets them go, yet he has a change of heart, and he pursues them into the wilderness. God sends what? A, cloud of, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to be a guard to protect them from the Egyptians and the light to guide them on where to go. That fire was God's presence with his people in the middle of the wilderness. We see these two beautiful symbols of wind and fire, of God's spirit and God's presence. And we understand as the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit on Pentecost is simply God's presence seen in God's spirit coming to reside on his disciples. Just think about it. Were these disciples brave men? Were they bold and passionate men who, who did whatever they could for the sake of the kingdom? Not at that point. These were men who you know, argued over who of them was the greatest when Jesus told them to serve other people. These were, this was the group that abandoned him on the day he was arrested. Peter, who even tried to stay close, denied him three times before the morning uh, sun rose. Even after Jesus revealed himself for 40 days to these, these apostles and disciples, were they out there preaching on the streets? Were they bold? Were they passionately filled with just uh, declaring the wonders and praises of God? No, they weren't. But on the day of Pentecost, when God's spirit, the wind of God blows and God's presence comes to reside upon them, look at what happens to them. They are filled with God's spirit. They are empowered by God's presence and they go out. And next week we'll see this as we continue through Acts. They proclaim the goodness of God. They travel to faraway lands. They are beaten, they are imprisoned, and many are killed because of the testimony they proclaimed about Christ. What does this mean? It means when the apostles were filled with God's presence through his spirit, they were utterly and absolutely transformed. This, this is like an overnight change that absolutely overtook them and transformed them in ways that we couldn't understand. They were essentially cowards. They were big chickens. They wouldn't even risk anything for God. And all of a sudden, here they are, boldly proclaiming Christ. It's a change that's undeniable and a change that's just fantastic. These, what we see here, are that the, the Spirit of God empowers the apostles and to do things they would have never done on their own. As these apostles are filled with the Spirit and, and, and proclaiming the wonders of God, we see this commotion in Jerusalem. We have to ask ourselves a couple of questions. Who, why are all these people in Jerusalem from far reaches of the world? And what is this day of Pentecost? The question you might be asking is, why does that even matter? And give me a moment. I'd love to explain. You see, Pentecost was actually 50 days after uh, Passover. And Passover and Pentecost were two of the three big pilgrimage festivals the Jewish people celebrated. And what this means is that Jews from all throughout the world, and we see this in the text, from um, the Mesopotamian region to the northeast, from the Arabia to the southeast, you got people from North Africa and further west from islands like Crete as far as Rome and then places like modern-day Turkey. Three times a year, Jews from all the reaches of the earth would come back to Jerusalem to celebrate three festivals. The first one, Passover. That's the time when Jesus was killed. And then 50 days after the Passover, 
was the celebration called Pentecost, which is often referred to as the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of the First Fruits. It's the beginning of the harvest season. And at that time, it actually had become a time to celebrate the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. God in his beautiful timing is, is amazing here. He chooses 50 days after, his, after Pentecost for the Holy Spirit to come down at the one moment where Jews from all over the world would have gathered back in Jerusalem. He chooses that festival for his Holy Spirit to come down and bear witness about what Jesus has done. Scholars actually say the Pentecost festival would have been the most well-traveled to festival because it's situated in May and June, and that would be the time the roads would be easiest to travel back to Jerusalem. So we have this great moment in history where if we go back to Acts chapter 1, verses 8, it declares, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. What God has done here in his beautiful timing is as all the nations have gathered together at Pentecost to celebrate at the temple, the Holy Spirit has come and now resides in his apostles and every believer of Jesus, empowering them with the Spirit to declare his praises and his wonders. And from there, we see the fulfillment of one of the themes of Acts, the gospel going to the ends of the earth beginning. Utterly amazing how God's timing works. Yet in verse 7 of chapter 2, there's an interesting question being asked. Utterly amazed, the people in Jerusalem are asking, Aren't all these people speaking Galileans? You might wonder what that means, but it's kind of a, an insult. See, Galilee was this rural area to the north of Jerusalem. This was an agrarian society, lots of fishermen, lots of farmers. These weren't well-educated people. And the people of Jerusalem and those who had traveled from these great cities across the world would have seen the Galileans kind of as as hicks, as hillbillies. They kind of would have heard their accent, and they had this guttural accent, and they couldn't pronounce the words like proper Jerusalem people could. And so everyone would have looked down at the people of Galilee. In many ways, similar to how many hear a southern accent in the U.S. and sadly uh, say, oh, that person must be stupid or dumb or something along those lines, people from Jerusalem and the other big cities would have looked at those in Galilee and said the same thing. But there's something powerful about who God uses and who God chooses in his upside-down kingdom. He takes those who are poor, kind of the disenfranchised, the marginalized from Galilee, and uses them to do what? Transform the world for his glory. Amazing. I love how God's upside-down kingdom is just, it transforms the way we understand the world. And we've been seeing this as we unpack Luke, and now we're in the book of Acts As those in Jerusalem continue to hear uh, the wonders of God being proclaimed, in verse 12, we hear a twofold response. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and asked, They have had too much wine. You know, I really appreciate how some people are leaning in. You can see this twofold response. Some are leaning in and asking, what is this all about? They're perplexed, they're amazed, and they're asking, wow, 
these men from Galilee, these uneducated men who couldn't speak Arabic, who are now speaking Arabic, who couldn't speak you know, all of the Parthian languages, uh, the different languages from Mesopotamia, all of a sudden are preaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus has risen from the dead and offers forgiveness of sins in the native language of all these people. God, your interest has got to be piqued. The reality is they are curious to know what's going on and they're leaning in. Yet there's a group who realize it's nine in the morning and they're seeing this phenomenon happen. And the best way they can rationalize it is to say, ah, these guys have just had too much wine. Now, I could be wrong. Feel free to let me know in the chat. But I have never met a single soul in my life who, when they drank a ton of alcohol, started speaking a language they never had spoken before. It just doesn't happen. It's actually a really dumb excuse. Like, you, the dog ate my homework is a better excuse than these men were drunk. Just, that's just one of the realities. Yet, here's, I think there's something really powerful for us in there as we bear witness to Jesus. The reality is, God has to prepare hearts. When people don't want to believe, when people don't want to accept the truth, they will find any way to rationalize it. Yet when God has prepared a heart, there's nothing we can do to stop that person from moving close to Jesus. You know, when God has prepared a heart through dreams and visions or through friends' faithful witness in word and deed, people move closer to Jesus. God has to prepare hearts in order for people to believe. The reality is, I did not move close to Jesus until he prepared my heart to accept him. So what do we do with that? We pray. We pray and we ask God to prepare hearts in advance. We ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be able to see, uh, to see opportunities throughout our day to bear witness and to seize those opportunities when they come. A couple weeks ago, I had a Zoom call with a bunch of my friends, and none of these guys are followers of Jesus. And they're people I've prayed for faithfully over years, yet it's just hard and challenging, yet I want to continue to bear witness to them. They know who I am, they know what I do, and they know my life, uh, yet God has to prepare their hearts. Often I don't do this, but that day before our call, I just prayed, God, if there's an opportunity tonight for me to say something, just open that door, please. And as I jumped on that call and the four of us were sitting around talking and chatting, one of my friends was like, oh, so he was asking what we do here and do we still meet? And I was, I was explaining to him about how we do like a YouTube stream every Sunday. And he's like, oh, I'd love to hear one of your talk things, you know? Uh, send me a link or something and I'd love to check that out. And I was like, oh, great, that's amazing. And here's the sad part. I went away from that conversation. I didn't send him anything. And then three days later in small group, we were talking in small group about bearing witness and talking about the book of Acts. And, and I just felt like God, God kind of spoke to me in that moment. like, hey, you prayed for an opportunity. I opened the door for you. Please do something about it. And all of a sudden I realized, oh man, like God opened me an opportunity to bear witness and I didn't even step through it. And, but thankfully because of my small group and what we were talking about and what we were unpacking, I was able to share that with them then and I was able to send my friend a link uh, and just kind of connect with him in that way and just bear witness in a simple way to who Christ is. It's amazing that when we actually pray and ask for God to open our eyes to see how the Holy Spirit is at work, he opens our eyes to see how the Holy Spirit is at work. And he starts connecting others to that, and he, he allows us to see, experience his presence, see the opportunities in front of us, 
and seize those opportunities as well. Here's the reality. When we as followers of Jesus are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are filled with God's presence and his presence resides in us now and empowers every believer. So what does this mean? I just want to touch on three things before we close. The first is that the Spirit is God's presence in our life. This is huge. When someone comes to know Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to reside in their heart. When someone declares Jesus as Lord, the Holy Spirit enters into us and fills us up. As we walk with Jesus, we can do things to grieve the Spirit. We can sin. We just don't spend time with the Spirit of God. But similarly to my relationship with my dad or my mom, when I don't spend time talking or chatting with my mom or I do something mean to them, I kind of hinder our fellowship. Yet they are still my parents and I'm still their son. It's like that with us, with God. When we grieve the Holy Spirit, when we don't spend time with God, the Spirit is still with us. The Spirit is a seal of our inheritance, as Ephesians calls it. He never leaves us or forsakes us. Yet here's what we can do to live in the power of the Spirit. When we, are, when we sin against God, when we sin against others, or when we're just not connected to, the, to, to God, we simply just say, Father, I'm sorry. And Holy Spirit, thank you that you have forgiven me. Holy Spirit, come, fill me up, and let me see with your eyes. You see, the Holy Spirit is God's presence in our lives. And we can experience the richness and the wonder of his presence moment by moment as we ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5 has this beautiful analogy. Do not be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit fills, when alcohol fills us, it controls us and dominates us. When the Spirit fills us, it leads us and guides us and gives us eyes to see uh, what God is up to and experience his presence moment by moment. Here's the reality of God's presence in our life. I probably should have asked my wife before sharing the story, but hey, it's too late. Um, a couple days ago, we got into a fight. Yesterday, we were unpacking that fight, and we were just talking about it. And as I was sitting there, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, Ugh, this, I don't like unpacking these sort of discussions and talking about this. Yet I realized in the moment, oh my God, tomorrow I'm speaking about the presence of God in every moment. And so I just prayed, Holy Spirit, come. I just need your presence. And it's amazing what God's presence does to change our attitude in the midst of those moments. And we're able to ask him to journey with us and be with us everywhere. Because when we realize that we can just continually be filled with the Spirit, and that, that, is, that, is, that means that it's God's presence with us, it comforts us when we are fearful. It is with us when God's presence is with us when we are full of worry. He gives us peace in the times where no peace is merited. He gives us words of encouragement when we need to be uplifted. And he convicts us and points us back to the cross when we need to return to God. The Spirit is God's loving presence in our life and is continually with us at all times. And we can ask to be filled with the Spirit and experience his presence moment by moment. The Spirit is God's presence in our life. Secondly, the Spirit unites us uh, to each other in Christ. For all of us who are followers of Jesus, the Spirit lives in us. It is the seal of our inheritance. And so when we gather for worship 
like this, even if you're in your homes, when we gather, especially through scripture and prayer, the Spirit works to bring us all together. This is why we love, even our small groups, our whole function here at First Lines, we love scripture and we love prayer because this unites God's people together through the power of his Spirit. Think about the analogy used in Acts chapter 2 of the fire. It's one fire coming down and breaking up and residing upon each individual believer. We are all empowered with the Spirit, but empowered by the same source, by the same person, the Holy Spirit. And here's just the beauty of the church and God's people empowered by the Spirit. When God's people gather together and gather around Scripture and prayer, when we realize that our primary identity is as children of God uh, through what Christ has done for us, we break down every ism that is out there. We don't see, uh, we, we, as, as we appreciate and value the diversity within our community, but it is the spirit that unifies us together. It is the spirit that breaks down the barrier between you know, millennial and boomer. It is the Spirit of God that breaks down the, the barrier between different races and gender. It is the Spirit of God that breaks down the barrier between different socioeconomic classes. And the reality is when we gather together as God's people, the Spirit unites us together in Christ. And that is one of the greatest and most powerful things we can experience. We live in a really divided world. In the U.S., we see how Republicans and Democrats can't even live in the same neighborhood. And it's not different here in Canada between conservatives and liberals. People of different uh, generations, of different races, don't even know how to have a dialogue with one another. But when we, the church, in our diversity, our intercultural, intergenerational community gather together through the power of the Spirit, we, are uni we have union with Christ. And this is who we are and that union bears witness to uh, how we live our life and how we can bear witness to the world. You see, how we love and care for each other, how we love and care for our enemies, how we live out this way of Jesus together by the power of the same Spirit is what will bear witness uh, of, for Christ in Canada today. The Spirit is God's presence in our life, and God's Spirit unites us in Christ. Finally, God's Spirit empowers us for mission. We see, uh, I, I think I just love being part of this community. I, I love our intergenerational, intercultural community. And I think one of the easiest things for me is to be a part of, uh, a, you know, just be, hang out with people my age because, you know, young parents get young parents, we get each other's struggles and we can go from there. But the joy of being part of a diverse community is that I get to learn from different generations and different people. So uh, one of the, uh, someone who was older than me in this church had taught me about the art of two-way journaling. And what she would do is that she, when she would journal, she would journal her prayers to God, which is something I was familiar with. But then she would take a different color marker and journal back God's responses to her. I thought this was really powerful and insightful. And I started practicing this. You know, uh, and as I, as I did that, and I asked the Holy Spirit to lead me, I would hear God's words and answers as I would journal. From there, I was able to, you know, God would convict me of sin in my life and the need to apologize and say sorry to people. He would, he would give me wisdom in moments of church leadership or just the right thing to say to a friend in a difficult time. He would help me unpack what was going on in my soul so I wouldn't be reactive, but I could care 
for others and journey with others in their difficulty. You see, one of the aspects of empowering us for mission is that the Holy Spirit speaks to each and every one of us. He guides us in our daily life because he is God's presence, God's spirit in our life. And as we are filled with his presence, he prepares us to proclaim his good news, to live it out with our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, or in our community, uh, and seek opportunities to proclaim and seize those opportunities to let Christ be known to the world. The reality that we see is that God's presence now resides and empowers every believer. For those there at Pentecost, the apostles were filled with the Spirit and lived out of God's presence and power. And for us today, we can also be filled with his presence moment by moment in all that we do. As a church, uh, I think we have just the joyous privilege of proclaiming his good news. I know this has been a difficult year and a half, a challenging time for our church as we've gone through uh, losses of staff. We've gone through COVID-19. Many of us haven't seen each other in over a year. We've lost people that we love. And even here again today, you're just hearing on the forum, losing even more people. It breaks my heart. Yet the hope of Pentecost does not change even though we cannot gather. Why? Because we are united by the same Spirit, the Spirit of God, God's presence in our life who equips each and every one of us for his work individually and corporately to proclaim the goodness of Christ. The reality is a Spirit-filled church, you and I, followers of Jesus, filled with the Spirit, will bear witness to Christ in our workplaces, with our friends, with our families, and with everyone around us the joy of the church, and then just imagine this, as we are filled with God's spirit, we will proclaim his good news, a hope that can unite our city and our nation so that more people can know and worship Christ. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you so much that your presence now resides in us, your people, and you empower us, every believer, to live knowing your presence uh, knowing that we are united together in Christ and on mission for your glory. So on this day of Pentecost, we just say once more, come Holy Spirit, come. Empower us for what you have called us to. Let us as a church here at First Alliance continue to bear witness for your glory each and every day. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more on us as a church and ways to connect, please visit us online at firstalliancechurch.org.